Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and this week I'm a little nervous because I am interviewing a legend. Uh, Dr. Joycelyn Elders is joining me today, and if you were at least a teenager in the mid-90s, you will for sure know her name. She was the first African-American appointed Surgeon General of the United States, and in December of 1994, she was speaking at the UN about HIV prevention, what to do about the AIDS crisis. Somebody asked her a question about whether masturbation should be taught as an alternative, as a safer sex alternative. And she said, yeah, I think that we should think about teaching about masturbation as a healthy, safer sex practice in public schools. And the country collectively flipped its lid, ultimately leading to her being forced by the Clinton administration, who was under fire from the right, to step down. She was so calm and ethically ferocious in the center of that storm that most of us who were paying attention at that time never forgot it. But what you may not know is that she's actually spent her entire career before and after that moment working to make the United States a sexually healthier place to be. She's currently a professor emerita of pediatrics at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. I'm so thrilled to welcome to the show Dr. Joycelyn Elters. A pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's a thrill. So we have a tradition here on the show of starting the show with a lightning round of superlative questions because the website that produces this show, The Establishment, starts with EST. So we start with some EST words. So what made you the happiest this week? Oh, I think the thing that made me the happiest this week was being able to give a lecture to a group of high school and college administrators about the things that we need to do to make schools better for children, including talking about sexual health and talking about how schools first began for African-Americans. And that made me very happy, especially their response. Excellent. That's good to hear. That's encouraging. What's the best sex advice you ever received? You know, you think you would don't do it, but that's not the best <laughs> advice <laughs> I ever received. That's what I got from my mother. The best sex advice I feel that I ever received was take care of yourself. You're responsible for your own body and don't ever get involved in any sexual activity that you don't want to be involved in. And if you do, protect yourself. Yeah, that is great sex advice. What's the sexuality-related news that's been making you the maddest or saddest lately? I think our politicians playing doctors. I think our politicians are getting involved in people's reproductive health. Reproductive health should be between a woman 
and her doctor. You know, they want to decide about abortions. They want to decide about whether they need a contraceptive advice and what contraceptives and when. And I feel that our politicians need to get out of the reproductive health arena and spend their time worrying about how do we protect our young people? How do we protect our country from STDs? And how do we make sure that our young people are healthy, educated, motivated, and have hope for the future? And that we should provide honest information We should educate and empower them and make sure that they have the resources to protect themselves. Amen. Yes. What's the biggest sex myth that you once believed, but you don't anymore? Oh, I think the biggest sex myth I don't believe that I once believed. You have to realize I grew up in the country and I didn't really know better. I was the oldest of eight children, so I didn't have any older sisters or brothers to give me any advice, that if you swallowed a watermelon seed, that would make you pregnant. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you were really careful with watermelon. Uh, You're right. I I was very careful. We we had great big watermelon patch, but I always make sure I got out of all the seeds. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah. All right, last one. Who's one of the bravest people that you can think of who's working to unscrew, to make better the sexual culture? Who's doing great work? Well, I think the person that I feel is doing some of the greatest work in sexual health culture is Eli Coleman at the University of Minnesota. You know, he may, himself may not be doing it, but he has a lot of young people, postdoctoral fellows and others that are really working on all different phases of sexual health. Primarily, you know, lots of, in the LGBT community, he's doing a lot of work on, you know, sex and the elderly. He's doing a lot of work on trying to get sexual health education in our medical schools to educate our doctors. The reason our doctors don't do better, they don't know better. We've not educated our doctors. You know, we spend an average of five hours five clock hours out of four years in medical school talking about sexual health. So how can they know? Right. And we didn't educate our parents. Right. Didn't educate our teachers. Didn't educate our preachers. So how do we think our children are going to know? Yes, exactly. I'm going to go on a tangent here, but all right. I want to know more about this. How do you change that dynamic if the doctors who are in charge of making the med school curriculum didn't learn that it's important to teach about sex? Like, how do how do you break that cycle? Well, you know, if I can brag on myself for a half a minute. Oh, brag on yourself. Yes. A chair was just funded and named in my name, the Joycelyn Elders Chair in Sexual Health Education. And it's devoted primarily to educate doctors. And so we're having medical education summits for deans and people in medical schools that are responsible for this to try and spread to more medical schools and do more sexual health education. So at the University of Minnesota, that's where the chair is. And they have a Dr. Ross who's in charge. And then they have several other schools now that are really getting involved and trying to increase sexuality education in medical school. That's fantastic. And you should be rightly proud of that. that that's wonderful. I am proud. Yeah. That is wonderful. 
All right. So as you know, I got in touch with you spurred on by one of my listeners who had a question for me, sort of a philosophical question, which is (laughs) she's in her 50s, I think. She's over 50. And she's kind of coming to terms with the fact that she doesn't think, you know, a long-term partner is going to happen for her anytime soon or at all. And she's struggling with thinking about how to make a solo sex life for herself that's as meaningful and has sort of the same weight as a sex life she might have with somebody else. Now, I know we're not going to do practical advice for her. We're going to do that on a different show. But I wonder if we could start philosophically, like if there's anything that you would just say to her? Well, I think that I would start probably by telling her that solo sexuality is normal. And it doesn't matter how many times a day she does it. It won't hurt. And they're just gotten lots of new fancy vibrators out there. She needs to go to the vibrators, you know. It really is a golden age of vibrators. (laughs) It really is. I mean, that's probably one of the fastest growing markets in sexual health. It just seems like embedded in her question was this understanding that in the culture that we live in, most of us live in, that masturbation is seen either as sort of sad and less than sort of like the like sad alternative to having sex with another person or completely taboo. And obviously, we all know you've been working on this for a long time. So, you know, I've long believed that the most important sexual relationship we have is with ourselves. Uh, Absolutely. And so the idea that masturbation is sort of this loser's prize, right? Like if you can't get someone, you know, then you masturbate. Where does that come from? I have no idea where that comes from. You know, when we we go all the way back to biblical times, you know, we were worrying about for men, you know, you can't waste their seeds, you know, you only have... (laughs) As though men don't have, like, as though men don't have any seeds to spare, right? Yeah, but I don't know. But, you know, how taboos and myths get passed along, and I think that that's what's happened. And, you know, if we can begin to accept that this is perfectly normal, and even if it's mutual, if you and your partner want to do it with each other, you know, that's all right. And I think we need to begin to accept that, and we need to throw out some of our old myths that we've carried around on our backs for years. Well, and honestly, you know, masturbation is what taught me what I wanted when I'm with a partner, right? I think that we can sometimes be our best lovers because you know exactly what's happening with your body in a way that a partner can't ever. The idea that it's somehow... Not only wrong, but even if we let go of the idea of the taboo, that it's less than. It's so frustrating to me. Right. And then partners get upset. You know, I, I know that there are a lot of men, especially, who get upset if they find out that their female partners masturbate as though it's inadequate. You know, there's just different activities that we all enjoy. It's something we've not talked about, masturbation, openly in our society. And because of that, we all keep the myths that we started out with or that we carried from our family. We carry it on forever. I think now we're talking more about it, and, you know, there's more written about it. We can go to the web and learn more about it. And so we're slowly, gradually moving away. And I think as we learn more, we'll do better, and we'll find it far more accepting. So I was going to ask you, do you think things are better when it comes to talking about sex and talking about masturbation in particular than they were in, you know, 1994? Oh, yes. I think things are much better. You know, we were starting down at minus zero, but I think we've moved up and we're moving up on the scale. And I think our young people, you know, we can't lie to them 
as easily as we used to. Before we could tell them anything, and they didn't know better, and they didn't have any place to go to find out better. The only thing they could find out was from the streets, the girly magazines. But now, you know, they can go to the web, learn many things, and you were talking about it on radio. You know, we couldn't talk about this on radio in 1994. Because no one would have given me a radio show, but now I can just make one for myself. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I think part of the masturbation taboo, and tell me what you think of it, has to do with our fear of young people being sexual. That we don't want to encourage them to do something which, as you say, is perfectly healthy and normal. Because we have this idea that children should be not sexual at all until they either hit 18 or marriage, depending on who you're talking to, when they're just supposed to be fully functioning sexual adults without any practice. Oh, I think that's right. You know, the idea of our thinking of, say, adolescence and sex in the same sentence, you know, we just go crazy. But we have to realize that our young people are their sexual, the sexual feelings. And so we need to be honest with them and we need to educate them so they will be empowered to make the right decisions. And we need to give them the resources to make the decisions with. Dr. Reese at the University of Minnesota, they call it the HER principle. H-E-R. Honesty, education, and empowerment and resources. Nice. Yes, that's exactly right. We can't tell young people what to do because they're not going to listen anyway, that we have to equip them. That's right. We have to equip them to decide for themselves in in ways that are going to be good for them. That's right. I think that it for me, and and I know you've done... (laughs) You certainly know more about the politics of this than I do. It seems to me like part of the problem is that Christian conservatives have just an undue influence on the federal government and and also the state and local governments in some cases. Do you think that's part of where some of this is coming from? Oh, I think that's a great part of where much of it's coming from. They're being preached to every week. You know, they hear the sermon, and these are the kinds of things that they're being taught and told. So they obviously grow up believing that. And then their children, they teach their children, their children grow up believing it. And so I think that that's where it's coming from. And until we began to educate ministers, you know, it's got to start everywhere. Our whole community has to move. We can have health education in schools, but we've got to have health education in church, health education in the community. We've all got to change, and we've all have got to accept healthy, healthy sexuality for everybody, including our adolescents. How would you do that? Like, if you had infinite resources, right? It turned out I was secretly a billionaire and I wanted to give you all the money you needed to, oh. ch- to change sexual attitudes in the country. Because some of these beliefs are just so entrenched. It's not just a matter of lack of opportunity for education. I think right. that that education would be rejected or not invited in. Like, how, how, how do you go about cracking that? I wish I had a slick answer. You know, if I did, I would have already told somebody. Well, sure. Yeah. And you probably would have raised the money for it, too. And I probably would have gotten out there and tried to raise the money for it, too. (laughs) But we have to start somewhere. We've got to start with education. You mentioned education. You can't keep an ignorant population healthy. So you've got to start with education. And that's long. It's slow. It's hard. And you have to and it has to involve every bit of the community. We've got to work to get a community buy-in. Whereas in Europe, they've done much of that. But we're still in the Victorian age. And we're, we're moving. We're moving. But then, you know, when we allow our politicians to use sexual health and the abortion issue and women's reproductive health to be 
what they're campaigning on and against women's rights and women's health, you know, that becomes a problem. Yes. I think it goes to our fear-based politics right now that they raise these issues. Yes. Because it does make people afraid because, because they don't know. That's right. And so much of politics, especially on the right, is driven by fear right now. And how do you overcome that? The only way you can overcome fear and ignorance is with education. And how do you get to that? You know, it's hard, but we just have to keep working on it. Well, how did it happen for you? You grew up thinking watermelon was going to make you pregnant, right? Like, so. <laughs> I, I grew up thinking eating watermelon seeds would make you pregnant. And I was having menstruation for three months before I even knew what was going on. And I thought I was dying. Oh, my and God. I was scared to even tell my mother or anybody. So you can see how, how little I knew. Wow. So how did you come to be so clear thinking and, and shame free about sexuality? You know, I don't know. I think one of the things that I, I must give my parents credit for is that they didn't try to embed shame and myths in me. My mother didn't tell me that if I swallowed the watermelon, it was probably my aunt's uncle. You know, it was in, in, in the environment that I was in. But I, I never grew up feeling fear or shame or prejudice. You know, we didn't, you know, we lived in a very tiny community of 99 people. I always tell people, 98 when I'm in Little Rock. <laughs> but they really always taught us to treat all people right. We kind of grew, grew up with the idea that if you want to get out of a cotton patch, you've got to get something in your head. You know, because we're black, we've got to be better mm. than white people in order to get, you know, for us to get the same jobs or same consideration. And I grew up having three hours a day for four years of home economics, the idea was the supervisor over our education felt that you've got to train your girls to be good maids. Because that was what your your job opportunity was going to be. That was what my job opportunity was going to be. It happened to be in one of the Rosenwald schools that felt you need to learn some math and English and, and stuff like that. But the idea is, you know, we had the first part of the school day was that. But most of our school day was to teach how to clean house, how to sew, cook, set tables and all. And I tell people all the time, I'm still the very best maid I know. <laughs> can't do it anymore, but I still am. But so still, you came from that, and you, you decided to go to college? I was very, very fortunate. When I was a senior, the United Methodist Women offered me a scholarship, offered the scholarship to the student that had the highest grade, the oh. valedictorian, a scholarship to Philander Smith College. So I didn't know anything about that. My sisters and brothers picked cotton to get $3.43 for me to get bus fare to go to Philander. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So when you decided to focus on sexual health, did you face respectability politics within your community? Oh, yes. Well, see, I was a pediatric endocrinologist you know, when I was a doctor, and so I took care of all of the children that had ambiguous genitalia, didn't develop, or, had, or developed too early or too late or whatever. But the way I got involved in really um, teenage pregnancy is when I became the health director at Arkansas and found out that we had the highest teenage pregnancy rate in the industrialized world, and people just didn't think anything about it. We're the poorest state. We always said, thank God, for Mississippi. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I thought that if we wanted to improve education, improve the status in Arkansas, that we had to stop having children having children. And so, you know, we started looking at all the things that they felt that might work and might make a difference. And, you know, well, then a big thing came up with condoms. And so I was the condom queen. <laughs> and I, I said, I don't care if I'm the condom queen. I don't mind being the condom queen. If everybody who needed to use one would use it. Right. Was that controversial back then? Because condom distribution remains controversial in a lot of places to this day. Oh, yes. They just went crazy when I had said we was having a major press conference with the governor. When it got to me, I said, I said we're going to reduce teenage pregnancy. You know, everybody in the room was half asleep by this time anyway. And when I said that, all of a sudden, everybody woke up <laughs> and they wondered, oh, Dr. Elders, how are you going to do that? And so I started listing off what I was going to do. And so he said, well, you're going to pass out condoms? I said, well, yes. I said, we aren't going to put them on their lunch plate, but yes. <laughs> so, well, uh, you know, all of a sudden, what was headlines in Arkansas? Well, then for the next month, I was the comic strip editorial and everything else. But all of Arkansas started talking about it, and they became aware of it. And nobody, nobody would have said, we don't have a problem. What does it feel like to feel like people are still, and you yourself have to still be fighting these literally exact same battles right. all these decades later? Like, What does that feel like? It must be so frustrating. Well, you know, I feel like I, I probably stopped to let you know, other people who are more in, in the positions and all take over. Well, you know, everybody didn't have the same kind of uh, commitment, but an awful lot has been done. We've reduced teenage pregnancy in this country. 56%. All right. That's a good reality check. Because, you know, I look around and I just see all the work that's left to do. That's right. There's a lot left to do. But I want you to know we've done a lot. I mean, lots of people have done a lot. I might have been out there being the mouth. But let me tell you, there were an awful lot of hands, feet, and brain working all the time. So it feels to you like we've made a lot of progress since the 80s. Yes. 
I still feel like if a surgeon general came out today and recommended masturbation, or I think that person would still have to step down. Oh, uh, they probably wouldn't even notice it. Well, I don't think it would have even made the paper when I said it, even at the UN. The reason why is uh, there was a journalist who was writing an article, U.S. News and World Report, or, and he said that he thought that I was going to be trouble for the Democrats. For an example, my attitude in regard to masturbation. Well, yeah, there was, I bet there was 10, 20. I was at the UN, TDs and the reporters and everything in front of me. And not a word was about it in the paper the next day. They talked about what I was talking about in regard to AIDS. You know, I was saying, well, if we want to reduce AIDS, we've got the ABCD, abstinent, be faithful, use a latex condom, and the D is do other things. And the other things include masturbation. And so, you know, a psychiatrist gave a wonderful speech and talk. And he said, you know, ask if he thought that masturbation should be taught about in schools. And I said that, you know, that masturbation was a normal part of human sexuality. And I felt that our children, they should be taught that they aren't going to go crazy. Hair aren't going to grow on their hands. It's not going to stunt their growth. And they aren't going to go blind. And that it's normal, but it should be done in the privacy of their own room. So what you think that that a Surgeon General today could advocate teaching that masturbation is normal and good and that that that, that would be fine. I don't think anybody would. Well, I, I think the right wing would freak out. Well, I think they would freak out, but the rest of the country wouldn't react. Got it. The rest of the country became silent. See, nobody talked about masturbation then. And then after that, after my comment, well, you could talk about it over dinner table if you wanted to. So you think what's different is that people, that there'd be people pushing back on the backlash? Yes. Yeah, I think that's right, right? People like me, obviously. Um, and there's plenty of people who, you know, we would take to Twitter and we would, we have our own media outlets. And right. yeah, the conversation wouldn't be one-sided. Right. That's right. I get that. So, you know, I'm sure you do that Obama zeroed out funding for abstinence-only education in this year's budget. Do you have any hope that that will make it through the budget? I I just was (laughs) – abstinence-only education is one of the banes of my existence as it is yours. And everyone is super excited about the fact that he finally zeroed it out. Do you think that – do you think it will survive in this political climate? Well, you know, I tried when I was Surgeon General 20 years ago. So I don't know. I don't know. I think so. It might. I mean, it's good to see a president taking a stand on it anyway. Oh, it is. And it might. I think people are becoming increasingly aware that the most important thing we want to do is save our children. I can have all kinds of thoughts, but I don't want to sacrifice my children for some myth that I have. But it's not just a myth. You know, I... I want to ask you a slightly personal thing. I did some research okay. in preparation for this interview. And in, a, in an old New York Times interview, I think this was in the late 90s, you told them that you did not talk to your own sons about sex when they were growing up. That, that's the truth. <laughs> so it's hard, right? Because we grow up with our own sets of shame, but also there's the discomfort and not knowing how to have that conversation, right? If you didn't do it, how do we break through? It's not just like, obviously you didn't hold antique views about sex, but that conversation was still hard for you, too hard to have. It was so hard until I didn't, I didn't have it. And of course, you know, 
it became very apparent when I was Surgeon General out talking to people. And on national TV, somebody asked my son, Kevin, what did your mother teach you? And he thought for a minute he didn't want to embarrass his mother, you know. And he finally said, he said, I don't remember my mother teaching us anything, but my daddy taught me, you know. And he went on to talk about what his daddy taught. But that was true. So why? I don't know. Probably because I didn't know. Nobody had ever taught me anything. But, you know, by this time, I was, I really read it awful lot, and I was instructing parents. You know, I was always talking to parents that had children that had a problem. You know, what I mean by early puberty, late Mm -hmm. puberty, or something. You know, but having something related to sexuality. I'll never forget, there was about a six- or seven-year-old who really started her menstrual periods, and her mother was there, and I was talking to to her about, you know, puberty, and we were treating her for precocious puberty. And asked the daughter if she wanted the mother to stay in while we talked about it. And, or, and the mother the mother says, oh, no. She said, you just go ahead and you just talk to her about anything you want. She said, and, and I told her, I said, but always remember, your child's body is six. I said, but our brain is feeling 16. Mm-hmm. And I said, and, and you can't ever forget that and don't ever. You know, and I just talked about the fact that we've got to, I said, what we're about is protecting her until her brain matures to her body. And, and you know, we just had, and so I really learned how to talk to mothers who was very fundamental, who really felt very strongly about, uh, oh, we don't tell them nothing about sex. But when you really got down to the nitty gritty and the ABCs, they understood. I think that's right, that parents are really hungry, by and large, for their kids to have good information and good support around sexuality. They just feel unprepared to be the ones who give it. I think you're absolutely right. Which is why you find, you know, that there's like a silent majority of people who want sex ed to be so much better in public schools. When they really evaluated the schools and asked parents if they wanted it. Almost 80 to 90 percent wanted comprehensive health education in schools and wanted school-based clinics and wanted to even provide contraceptives at school. But everyone thinks that they're the only one, the parents. They think if they speak up at the PTA meeting or whatever, that all of their friends disagree with them. So there's this silence that doesn't need to be there. the opposite. Yes. Again, we'll get back to talking about We've got to talk about it. Yes. That we, our silence has been destroying us. No, it's destroying our kids. And it's destroying the next generation. Mm-hmm. Right, because our kids are just going to pass it on to their kids right, if we don't, That's right. if we don't intervene. Right. What's, what's next? I know you're talking about working on educating at medical schools, which I think is fantastic. But what do you think are the next pieces of work that you see starting to happen or that you wish would start to happen in terms of improving the sexual health? Well, the thing that I think is starting to happen and that I wish would happen, obviously we can start with, with not just medical schools, but we've got to start in all of our schools. And we've got to have comprehensive health education in our schools. We've got to educate our ministers and teach them because they want to do differently, but they're afraid if they say anything differently that the senior members of the church mm. will get mad at it. 
Do you think that that dynamic that I just described, that we just talked about in terms of parents wanting sex ed in schools, I think that holds true for a lot of congregations that most of the parishioners want to talk about it, but nobody speaks up. They want to talk about it, but they don't know how. And then they'll get somebody to come in who will give them one of these way out kind of things. But just say no. And it's all right to just say no. I don't have any problem with just saying no. But we've got to teach them how to say no and teach them if they choose to be sexually active, they must be responsible. And that's why those programs are so popular, because everyone wants to talk about it and no one knows what to say. (laughs) You're right. And so here's an easy answer. Just say no, even though it's, it creates more silence, but it feels like you're talking about it. That's absolutely right. You know, the National Association of School Board Educators, they've developed a program for comprehensive sexuality education in schools from kindergarten through 12th grade, and they've just finished it. It was done. I think it may be on the net, but any teacher anywhere, can, a parent can go to the go to the web and get it. I mean, I think that's phenomenal, but I can just see the headlines, right? Kindergartners are getting sex ed. You know, everyone freak out. That's right. But mothers aren't freaking out as much as they used to. They're saying, I want my child to know. Ignorance is not bliss. It is not in this case at all. No. And you alluded to this, I think, in the beginning of our conversation. I think the way to shift it is community by community. And you have to do the whole community. So it's about finding people in your community who also want to talk about it and figuring out who the influencers are. You know, it's it's old school organizing, I think, that's going to really make this shift. I, I think you're right. I think that we get a little antsy and, you know, in the digital age and we want the one size solution, you know, for the country. But I really do think old school retail politics organizing is the way to break the silence around sexual health and sex taboos. I think that that's the only way we're going to really get it. Uh, you know, once you've gotten it changed in a community, well, but, you know, it's not there anymore. Yeah. Well, and also I think if a few communities really succeeded in a holistic way of turning things around around sexual attitudes other communities would be encouraged to try and do the same thing, right? That you need a few proof of concept cases. Mm-hmm. Ah, I want to go out and do some organizing now. You've got me all juiced up. Well, that's right. You can just go out and get started. Now that I'm 83, that's what I'm supposed to do is try and go out and organize and try and get other, other people all juiced up. I can't go out and do it anymore. Well, you have certainly done more than your share, Dr. Elters. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. If people want to follow your work, are you online at all? Are you on Facebook or are there places that well, they can... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit, but not much. There's a young woman who's helping me who really is very good at it. And so she's making me do more. Great. So if I look for you on Facebook, I would find something there? Not today. Not today, but soon. We'll look out for it. And if you do get started on social media, just drop me a line and I'll let listeners know on a future show where they can find you. good. I'll do it. Well, thank you so much for coming on and honestly for your entire career of leadership. It's really been an honor. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. Thank you.
And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Jacqueline F. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F as in Friedman. You can also find all my work and what I'm up to at JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. You can also email me at unscrewed at JacquelineFriedman.com. Send me ideas for future shows, topics, advice, questions, guests you'd like to hear on the show. Tell me what you think of the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can also participate on Twitter. Tweet at me and or use the unscrewed hashtag to participate in the conversation. You can find this podcast wherever fun podcasts are distributed. And if you like this podcast, want to help other people find it, go to iTunes, give us some stars, give us a review. That is how iTunes tells other people about us. Unscrewed is produced in collaboration with the fantastic Katie Tandy, creative director of theestablishment.co and edited by yours truly. Our cover art is by Nicole DeDonna and our in and out music is by The Pink Tiles. Until next week, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.